You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Right back on Money Talk and talking to our guests, uh, kind of spread out all over the planet today. I'm in Hong Kong. Ben Emmons, Principal Senior Portfolio Manager, New Edge Wealth, coming at us from the United States of America. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Good to hear from you. And Anthony Doyle, Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail Investment, first time on the show, dialing in from, I believe, Sydney, Australia. Yes. That's right. Morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, great to have you on. Wow, we're really uh, hitting all the continents today. Uh, gentlemen, uh, so many so many places to, to start. Uh, Jerome Powell in uh, at this conference with, with all the other heads of central banks. would love to be a fly on the wall. Um, the market didn't seem to, you know, have a lot of, have any big moves based on his comments. Uh, did you take anything from it more than maybe the, uh, the broader marketplace did? Anthony, it's your first time on. Why don't we kick off with you? I mean, Jay Powell, I think he's uh, earned a lot of credibility after the actions that the Fed has taken in order to keep inflation expectations well anchored. Um, so he's on a bit of a victory lap skip at the moment after the Fed um, skipped its interest rate hike at the, or a potential interest rate hike at the last meeting. And I think in terms of the comments overnight, he's a straight shooter, he's a straight talker, and the market has definitely... Um, understood his sentiment that uh, the Fed is going to be data-dependent, very pragmatic. They're more inclined to hike. Um, but at this stage, uh, much will depend upon how the economic data prints over the course um, of the next couple of weeks before the next Fed meeting. So I'm not surprised there's been a immediate response, particularly in risk assets. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, I... Mean, I, I... He didn't really say anything that's going to be a departure from what people expected, which was, you know, we had a we had no no uh, no rise in June, but people are expecting one, maybe two more quarter percentage hikes, and then are we going to, you know, and then after that, I mean, then the question is, do they do they keep going or does it does it plateau? Yeah, I mean, um, from our perspective, we think uh, inflation is yesterday's story, um, and uh, certainly we are probably a bit more optimistic on that front than the market consensus. If you look at things like uh, money creation into money supply growth, if you look at um, supply chain pressures, which have been largely resolved, um, and what most importantly, we think um, the, the focus now is very much on the deterioration in the labour market. And a lead indicator there, um, the 12-month moving average, the unemployment rate has actually breached that, um, which has historically been uh, an excellent indicator of recession. And the Fed's own forecast suggests a deterioration in the labour market. Uh, the unemployment rate expected to rise to 4.3% by the end of the year, 4.5% by the end of the next year, end of next year. And any time the unemployment rate has risen by more than half a percent in the United States, there's been a recession. So we think that um, given the policy ammunition that the Fed has built up, we will actually see interest rate cuts next year from the US Federal Reserve leading into a uh, political cycle uh, in an environment where the labour market is weakening and deteriorating. So whether they do one, whether they do two more, certainly it appears that um, we are at the end of the the Fed's hiking cycle um, this year. Hmm. Ben, uh, Anthony's telling us that he thinks uh, he's at the end of the inflation story. uh, But Jerome Powell, one thing he did say was that uh, he didn't think that they were going to start hitting their inflation targets until 2025, I think. I mean, where where do you fall on that? Yeah, that was probably the most notable thing that he said today, because 
in their projections, they do expect that inflation rate to get close to target likely by next year. So the fact that he revealed that, he being the chair, um, that got a little bit of attention to markets, I think, um, because, you know, one thing that's happened, uh, Andrew, is that the, uh, the expectations, not just only for July, but a little bit further out in the fall, it's slowly being pulled back towards the Fed has its median dot for 2023. There's still about 25 base points to go, but I think what Paul also said in between the lines is that she looked at financial conditions that are tight and not like materially tight enough, and that was also his message. We're not restrictive long enough, and therefore this inflation forecast that he's making, that it's going to take more time before you hit the target, means that they are serious about getting this rate at a higher level than when the market currently is. So I think we're still in the process slowly, as it depends on data, as the, uh, my colleague says, but it will move the expectations closer to where the Fed is. And I think this is where we're in for. And likely some of more rate hikes priced in the future with, uh, with real interest rates a little bit rising in the U.S. And so given that, so, you know, we're gonna, you know if, if we do have two more hikes, do you think we, we peak? At that point, it starts to come down, or do we plateau at that level and hold it until, you know, 2025 when he thinks inflation is going to start to come? And I mean, it's not just him, of course. It's the broader Fed. But do you right. think we peak or, pla- peak or plateau yeah, that, at that point? Yeah, and that, that, that's the crux of the story. So one thing within Fed communication is that there is a group of Fed members, I call this the hawkish flank, this is just four or five members who have been making this case of not not restrictive enough to get to what they say sufficiently restrictive. The real interest rate has to be quite high to get a serious impact on inflation. Now, if you look at that dot plot that they put out, you know, to move the, dot, the, the median for 2023 higher to a level where those that hawkish flank was making a case for higher rates previously at the previous dot plot, but that group of hawkish members is now projecting something like six to six and a quarter percent of a funds rate. My sense is that they are within the FOMC not happy where inflation is. It's going down too slow. They're worried that it's going to affect long-term inflation expectations and that that small group of hawkish members is going to, again, raise their voice and push a little bit even further than those two rate hikes. So I think the peak in rates in the U.S., in my view, isn't determined yet, uh, unlike what market pricing seems to suggest. So we, it may well very be possible that inflation doesn't cool off enough in the next few months, and I'm talking here about really the core services inflation, uh, ex-housing, if that doesn't cool off enough, then uh, you could get a 6% funds rate. Oof. Okay. And I mean, uh, you, you raise a good point that the, the, the United States is, is not, you know, it's not all determined by one person. It is a, uh, it's, it's kind of a federal, a federal system for raising interest rates, like, like how the country is run. Uh, but in Europe, it's a bit of a different scene. Is it like, doesn't Christine Lagarde have a lot, when, when she speaks, she has a lot more sway over the general direction or, or am I uh, misapprehending that? Does Europe, does Europe have a lot of people that have influence there or is it a smaller group of people that determine where their interest rates are going? So the, the, the ECB governing council is, is consists out of all those different countries, and it, it used to be that Germany had a significant influence on the debate. But in the in the last decade or so, you know, he's no longer on the ECB, but Weidmann from the Bundesbank, 
use the outlier of calling for no QE and being much more hawkish, and he didn't have much effect on that debate. Whereas in the past, you had Draghi, being from Italy, having a major influence. And I think on the Lagarde, it has all sort of balanced out a bit in the sense that you still have hawkish members like in the Netherlands or, or Austria or even to an extent France. But it is more balanced uh, council now, and they're all on the same page. They all see this inflation in, in Europe being way, way too high because of the, the shock from Ukraine. So they're actually at a stage where their peak in rates is by far not determined. I think that they, they don't, do not foresee any skip or pause. Rather, they, they too may be following where the UK is ending towards to much higher rates, right? And that's, I think, uh, what, what Regard is trying to manage here. But she definitely has a big consensus behind her now that rates have to go higher there and they cannot pause. Hmm. Uh, so, so the markets aren't too concerned about this today. Um, Anthony, I'm looking at one of your, your latest reports here and you're, you're kind of noting about the heavy weighting of the major American indices with the five, uh, the five big tech stocks. Um, are interest rates less important then? Like, do we really... You know, given, given that these, the, the major bourses are so heavily invested in these few stocks, do I mean, and interest rates don't really have such a big influence on them. Um, you know, should we just be looking at how those companies are performing to get a better sense of where the major American indices are going? Yeah, so the, the market breadth has been particularly poor this year. Um, and really, as you say, the only top five, top six, top seven um, market weighted companies, uh, in particular the AI beneficiaries or perceived beneficiaries, have really dominated um, performance this year. So if you look at the S&P 100, that's up around 20% year to date. But looking further afield, the mid cap 400 is up around 5%, small cap 600 um, is up around 3% and micro cups um, up around 3% as well. So it's been a pretty unhealthy rally, um, if you think about the S&P 500 and market breadth in particular. And of course, those tech stocks particularly hammered um, last year when we saw rate hikes from the Fed and the aggressive hiking cycle. Now, um, those, that S&P 500, that's expensively valued today. We're talking about 85th percentile of its 20-year history in terms of where its PE stands today. And outside of those mega cap growth names, mid cap 400 is at its 5, 5% decile um, and the Russell 2000 at a similar level. So we think valuations outside of those mega caps are extremely compelling for mid to long term investors. I mean, we have exposure to Alphabet, Microsoft, TSMC, Micron um, from an AI perspective and semiconductor perspective. But we still are pretty wary about some of those really expensive valuations where it looks like um, the hype cycle has certainly come to the fore. And we're starting to see a bit of retail flow into some of those names like NVIDIA, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, what are you, are you focused in kind of the same areas or do you, I mean, how do you, how do you balance off this incredible overweighting that these, this restricted group of tech companies has against the broader market? I mean, how do you, how do you play off those two to balance them or do you not, do you just go all in on tech? No, you do, you balance it out. And one, we do this by just staying fully invested. Uh, and then looking at other sectors that have the opportunity to benefit from some level of rotation if that breath were to be improving. Now, Anthony has a point. It is a really poor market that way. 
because I think what the market did was to uh, figure out, try to figure out what's the true value of AI and who will be the ultimate winner. And we, we, we can't figure this out immediately, but that's how Mark's trying to price things. Why you get such a concentrated rally and everything's focused on the big names who have, you know, the money and capital to invest in AI, uh, the FANG stocks plus NVIDIA. But to manage that, you, you're going to look at, you know, alternative ways. Like, so, you know, a company that we like is Broadcom, for example, that is very involved in the chip space. Um, but could benefit from, from other other AI investments. Uh, we have obviously our Chips Act, which is a very important uh, development here because now it starts to impact, uh, impact the economy. Um, so there could be all kinds of related companies in services, financial services, for example, or soon discretionary to start benefiting from that Chips Act investment. So I think these are sort of ways to think about how to, how to diversify around this big tech weight that otherwise I would agree with Anthony is, is a problem, right? It's if, if you if we're not really seeing any further traction here and rates are going to indeed go and go higher here after all, much higher, then the markets are very much at risk for an unwind because of such a concentrated rally. Okay, Ben, you've got uh, 30 seconds to uh, close us out today. Any Anything else that we should be keeping an eye on for the rest of the week? Well, there are definitely uh, tensions under, this, under the surface, as I say. You know, the volatility is low, and we're in a, in a doldrum you know, summer market, and things are looking bullish or okay. But there is, you know, I would say keep a close eye on the yen, right? It continues to weaken quite a bit in the wake of the Sintra today. I think that that could become a, a pressure point in the market. Okay, and we do have a couple of seconds. Anthony, uh, number one metric that you're going to be looking for this week to close us out. Yeah, I mean, I just want to remind your listeners that the market is not the economy. Um, and what we're seeing in terms of outside of those mega cap names, the, the market is trading almost at recessionary levels. So for us, you know, it's a, a great opportunity to, to participate in the growth of great companies and, and build a diversified portfolio. So, mm. um, you know, we try to not get caught up in the short-term noise, focus on the mid to long-term, and we think you um, reap the rewards uh, with such a such an approach. All right. Well, thank you very much, Anthony Doyle, Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail Investment. First time on the show, Ben Emmons, Principal Senior Portfolio Manager, New Well Wealth.